Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello, hello. Happy Thursday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our crazy lives, and so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. You know what I've realized? What? That (laughs) you can't do anything without a cell phone nowadays. Uh, Yep, that is true. And I don't know if I'm in a depressive state because I have, you know, broken my phone a couple of times at this point. Mm-hmm. And I broke it recently and I've been stuck to using my laptop the entire time for communication periods. But I miss my phone. Like, I can't do anything. I can barely navigate. I can barely drive without my phone. Right? There's You're having... so much that I can't do <laughs> yeah. with my phone. You're having cell phone withdrawal. Is that a problem? Probably. The I fact, yeah, I mean, there's, it's a it's mix. It's a part of our, it's the, a part of the, our lives. The I don't thing think it's a is, it's a practical part of our lives that we've gotten so used to. It's not even about addiction. I think there's a mixture between you probably have a bit of an addiction to it. How, why are you diagnosing me all of a sudden? You know, uh, Dr. Shearer in the house here. I, first of all. Amateur Dr. Shearer. <laughs> I just think it's not my fault. It's more so we've... Our cell phones are an integral part of our lives. Oh, yeah. And our livelihoods. So it's not my fault that I needed to memorize what street I'm going down or what street I live on. Oh, yeah. That's why now it helps when your car has navigation. But I'm- Oh, I can't be that fancy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, sure, otherwise, sure it's has a true. 2021 car and all you, those you, the things just change. You know how many times I've tried to navigate without my phone when my phone died or if I can't figure it out my on my car or I don't have a car that does that and I end up in weird places because I just like <laughs> try to be like, yeah, I could do this. I could navigate and go to my destination without knowing how to go to it. The real the real thing was I that's the like I didn't go anywhere really uh, when I was off those couple of days because I didn't have a phone. And I was like, well, if I go somewhere, I'll get lost. Yeah. And I won't know how to return. And then you don't know what time it is. And then I'm now six years later living in my car because I could never find my way home. Mm. Lassie. That would be tra- home. tragic. That would be tragic. I, I seriously felt that way. But or, um, luckily or, I'm getting a new phone on Friday. You know, um, <laughs> Ryan, I don't think, do you remember when I, and congratulations, Thank when you. I, when I, I lost my phone or it broke also. And you remember people um, didn't see me on Instagram or IG story for like 48 hours. <laughs> and I think, was it you? Someone got in touch with you. Oh, yes. Shira's ex-boyfriend texted me and called me being like, where is Shira? 
Like, I had a tracking device attached to her or something, which is a good idea, by the way. Um, to track me? Yes, because you just never know what, you know, well you'll fall in. Okay. And on that note, <laughs> thanks for looking out. Coming up on the show, a bit of this, but also, our credit score is going to go away? We're breaking down Biden's new plan in 30 minutes. Plus, why it's good for kids to have friends with different socioeconomic backgrounds. That's at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Biden shared his message for trans youth at his State of the Union address last night. I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, you're so brave. I want you to know your president has your back. Yep, powerful words. What's another word for powerful? It was I'm gonna keep engaging. There no, we go. It, no, okay. engaging is a bit different than powerful. Oh. It was powerful. It was poignant. It was poignant. Poignant. <laughs> it's a weird word. No, but it was now, a great moment. Yes. I, I clapped in my living room when he said that. It was beautiful. Now, also another beautiful moment. Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris made history together during Biden's address to Congress. The VP and House Speaker became the first two women to share the stage during the joint session of Congress, marking a symbolic milestone almost two. 245 years in the making. You want to know my only issue? No, here it goes. I wish they would have gave Kamala Harris a mask that matched her outfit. It was her decision. You think they gave she her the mask? She wore a black mask with that beautiful color suit, and Nancy Pelosi had a matching mask with her little <laughs> Yeah, blue. she always does. So that pissed me off. I'm just saying, we have to think about COVID fashion. I mean, she has a stylist. I don't know what happened. Does she? Because they missed the mark. You just never know what happens. Maybe it broke last minute. She had to go with that one. the mark. All right. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay. So there's a new update to the Lady Gaga dog napper situation. It is time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So multiple people who allegedly dog napped uh, Lady Gaga's two Frenchies shot and shot her dog walker. We can't forget that. Have been arrested. Uh, these laws enforcement sources the police are over there talking to tmz um the cops basically got video of where the dogs were dropped off in an alley days after the february 24th dog napping and it became key evidence in hunting down the alleged criminals um also here's the kicker the woman who found the dogs Mm -hmm. was also arrested according to law enforcement sources as we uh, as tmz reported cops were suspicious of her from the jump and that's why gaga was advised by cops not to pay the $500,000 award. She wasn't being cheap. She was just watching out for her coin, not giving the, you know the criminals money. And so basically cops initially thought that this was some gang initiation, but later changed their theory uh, to a dog stealing ring. French bulldogs are a hot commodity and can be resold for lots of money. I mean, this is still going to be developing. We're not sure. You know, TMZ's always reporting something that exclusive. And I was like, oh, let's talk about it. That's your T-Report. I got more coming up next hour. Stick around. Okay, well, we gave you a little tease of Biden's first address to Congress, but there's a lot more. We break it down with the Washington Post next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, it's time to remember that we, the people, are the government. You and I. Not some force in a distant capital. Not some powerful force that we have no control over. It's us. It's we, the people. In another era, when our democracy was tested, Franklin Roosevelt reminded us, in America, 
We do our part. We all do our part. That's all I'm asking, that we do our part, all of us. But if we do that, we will meet the center challenge of the age by proving that democracy is durable and strong. That was President Biden in his first address to Congress. Joining us right now is Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor. Thanks for being here today. It's good to be with you. So how do you think that Biden did? Uh, listen, I think for the, the the president did a really good job last night addressing the American people, understanding that he has a divided, a very close, mar, very close margin in the House and in the Senate. Um, this speech was definitely directed to the American people, where he has a larger popularity than he does in the House and Senate. Uh, and he's really trying to convince the American people that his agenda is about rebuilding this country from the bottom up and also making really bold investments in America's future. Yeah, and I thought it was one of those things last night where I was watching the speech and you just see, you hear him saying such amazing things about all the things that he's been able to get done, like, you know, cutting child poverty in half. And you just see Republicans sitting there stone-faced, not clapping, not even really caring. What was your thoughts about that? And was that a, a major bad look on the Republican Party? Well, you know, I got to tell you, I think that was one of the moments that I think folks, the folks at home would be watching, right? Like the Republicans literally couldn't stand for child poverty, right? When we understand that prior under the under the Trump administration, there was a 35 percent food insecurity rate among America's young people, right? And and we also understand that far too many families went hungry during this global pandemic, and millions of Americans were unemployed, and even more Americans lost their businesses. So I do think that the president really struck a chord with the American people. And a recent CBS snap poll that was done following his speech found that 85 percent of Americans agreed with what the vice president had to say in his speech yesterday. Excuse me. I'm sorry for calling him the vice president, the president (laughs) of the United States. Do you think that will help his approval rating, considering it's worse than other presidents, not worse, obviously, than Trump? Well, you know, I got to tell you, I think if you really look over time, Joe Biden has a pretty good approval rating among with the American people and the Republicans have a pretty dismal approval rating with the American people. And I think the president will get a lot of credit for the fact that he got this country out of COVID-19. While, yes, it is true that Donald Trump did make the initial investment to get vaccine development, um, the vaccine development process underway. Joe Biden will be credited for getting vaccines in the arms of over 200 million Americans. Uh, and that is nothing to sneeze at. And I think he, he, so he definitely talked about those accomplishments last night. But he lay out what the American people have been asking for for almost decades. I mean, Sharon and Ryan, you guys have all been to LAX as well as I've been to LAX. The air, our airports are in desperate need of repair, not to mention the fact that we have 20,000 miles of roads and bridges that are literally falling apart. Um, beyond the fact that the people in Flint, Michigan still don't have clean water. And Michigan, Flint, Michigan is just one city and one example of lead pipes that are poisoning our young people. And Joe Biden wants to do something about it. Yeah. And I think what's really going to be interesting is these next 100 days. And I was reading an article on CNN.com where basically they asked uh, viewers, um, what should he really be focusing on in the next 100 days? And a lot of them said that they want the administration to act on education and student debt forgiveness. Is that something that he really needs to put pressure on? 
Oh, I definitely think that student loan debt forgiveness will be something that the president's going to have to do. What I will know, I know from my sources, and it's been sort of reported, he has asked the Secretary of Education for a memo on what he can do around some form of student loan debt forgiveness, understanding that, you know, the president does have the ability or, the, excuse me, the Secretary of Education with uh, a direction of the president has some ability to sort of write a letter discharging some federally held debt. Uh, and I think it's also worth pointing out that, you know, for those of us who do our holders of federally backed student loans, it's really sad that we're literally paying our government interest to get an education that is go- literally benefiting the United States overall when it comes to our global competitiveness. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, he also t- spoke a lot about the tax debate. What did you think about his take on that? Well, you know, listen, this is, the, this is the Republican argument. Right after he finished speaking, you heard Republicans use their same old talking points that we've heard for decades. Oh, this is all about tax and spend, tax and spend. And I don't think the American people are buying it because we are so tired of seeing corporations like IBM and Microsoft and Google not pay their fair share in taxes, right? Because many of these corporations, when you look at it, over 200 of the Fortune 500 companies last year paid 0% in taxes, whereas in secretaries, you know, essential workers, nurses, um, hospitalists, yeah. respiratory therapists, grocery store workers are paying 25 to 35 percent of their wages in taxes. Well, Richard Fowler, thanks again for joining us for this. We appreciate you. It's always good to be with you both. Again, Richard is a Fox News contributor. And coming up, President Biden's plan to change credit reporting and scoring. We'll be back with that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The push for a public credit reporting agency is part of President Biden's job and economic recovery agenda, which was inspired by the liberal think tank Demos. Amy Traub now joins us, Associate Director of Policy and Research at Demos. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what does it mean to have a public credit reporting agency? Well, you know, we need a public credit reporting agency because the private credit reporting system we have right now is really failing American consumers on almost any issue, whether it's the accuracy of credit reports, the ability to get disputes resolved, accountability of these private credit reporting agencies that dominate the industry now, um, or the security of our personal financial data. The system is just not serving American consumers And there's no way for ordinary people to opt out. So consumers really need a change. And we think that we'd be best served by a a public system that puts the public interest first. Okay, so break down the word public for me. Because when I hear public, that means what? Everyone can see your credit score? Like, what does that mean? Like, what what, what does that mean when you're saying public? Yeah, when I'm saying public, I'm saying that the credit registry itself so right now, the, the credit reporting is dominated by TransUnion, Equifax, Experian, these private companies that gather data about all of us, important data, and then use that to um, help make decisions about us, decisions that affect, um, you know, how much you're going to pay on your credit card every month, whether you're going to get a loan, um, sometimes whether you can get a job, how much auto insurance costs. It's a... Uh, a, um, they're gatekeepers to our economic lives. So what we're saying is that that is 
part of our public infrastructure in a way. It's part of the fundamentals of how our economy operates. And we need to have that publicly operated rather than operated by these private companies. You bring so it up- does not mean our credit scores uh-huh. become public. It means that the agency that manages, that gathers credit information and manages it mm-hmm. should be a public agency out of the mm-hmm. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. You bring up a lot of good points. Would that mean, uh, one, cre- we would still have credit scores. You're saying they would just be public. Or would there be a shift to how we even look at those? Because I just find it so crazy. Like, you're told uh, one moment that, oh, get another credit card. And uh, as long as you maintain all these credit cards and you have more credit cards, your credit score will go up. And then you get it, but you don't spend enough on it. It's just, you can't even game the system. You can't figure it out. Yeah. So my proposal, uh, which is the inspiration for the Biden administration policy, is to replace the three private companies that control credit reports now and replace them with a public system that puts fairness at its center. So one core element is transparent credit scores. It doesn't mean transparency in terms of people knowing your credit score. It means transparency in terms of you knowing your credit score and you knowing what goes into that credit score, how it's made, what different financial activities, what the impact really is going to be. Right now, those are trade secrets. With transparent algorithms that are actually designed to minimize bias um, while still being predictive of loan payment, that is a system that is going to serve the public more broadly. Right. And I, I guess I just can't help but think about marginalized communities, especially when you're thinking about the racial inequality and just like, especially, you know, LGBTQ folks who go through a ton of stuff when it comes to financial burdens. And um, how could this really, you know, help them and, and help marginalized communities, especially black folks in these situations? Yeah, well, let's look at where credit discrimination comes from. For decades, we had economic policies in this country that enabled disproportionately white families to build wealth, but excluded black and brown families. And wealth is passed down over generations, so access to that generational wealth shapes people's borrowing and payment behavior today, as does, obviously, ongoing discrimination. So it's not a surprise that we then see racial disparities turn up in credit scores, very much including for black and brown LGBTQ plus people. And then more broadly for LGBTQ plus people, there's discrimination at work that many people face, the lingering impact of biased marriage laws that can impact borrowing and the ability to pay back debt, which in turn affects your credit score. In some cases, LGBTQ plus households might be more likely to be cut off from generational wealth transfers, even if their family has wealth. And that definitely affects borrowing and credit. So what do these companies think about this? I mean, this could threaten them completely. This is a huge industry. Yeah, they're not fans. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when could this be implemented? If it ever will be. When would it be implemented? So. We don't have a bill in Congress yet. I think uh, some policymakers are thinking about it. We have a plan to phase in the public credit registry over seven years. So it's not as if um, overnight we just wake up and suddenly um, our credit scores are run by a public agency. There's a transition period, um, and it would enable lenders. It would enable data furnishers that that are uh, giving our data to the right now to the private companies. 
and soon to the public credit registry to all transition over a period of years. Okay, well, lots to wrap our heads around, that's for sure. That was Amy Traub, Associate Director of Policy and Research at Demos. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Coming up on the show, the GOP's response to President Biden's address, and uh, it's a lot to debate, and we'll be reacting to that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott addressed the nation immediately following the president's speech, sharing this GOP response. Today, cues are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power, but they haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. Okay, that is Tim Scott's hot take on Biden's address and basically the Democrats' overall uh, push around uh, policing reform and the infrastructure bill. He also, in this speech, defended Georgia's new voting law, which has drawn criticism, and a federal lawsuit alleging that it is racially discriminatory. Ryan, what do you think about all this? What do you think I think about it? (laughs) What do you think I'm going to say? Do you think I'm going to surprise you today? And... I I don't know. I mean, yes, I, I, we we wanted to play this because it's um, no, not wait surprising. A I wasn't I wasn't done. I oh, wasn't I, done. Just, <laughs> I wasn't done. You were gonna you were gonna make me respond like you would respond. No, here's uh, VP Kamala Harris responding to Senator Tim Scott's statement that America is not racist. I believe that we need to address. Well, first of all, no, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its and its existence today. So, you know, I I literally love that (laughs) that her entire political career was based off of her being a mixed race um, woman and her becoming the vice president is because of how progressive this country has become because of its racist roots. So to sit there and deny from her and from him that this country is not racist is a complete load of BS. And it's annoying that the GOPs went ahead again to find the only black person a part of their party. I was going to say, like, what it was to you... figure that out. I'm glad you didn't say that. No, no, but is it, I always find it interesting when we talk about this. Who's the other chick that uh, people don't like? The black woman who's on the right? That always does problematic Candace things. Owens. Candace Owens. But, like, I, it, what do you think about a black man saying those things? And then, you, yeah, they use it as a pawn to say, like, well, if a black guy says it, then it's true. Because that's what white people do. We've seen it. it. Regardless of what side that you're on, to be quite honest. I mean, if you're progressive, you're either throwing in Sean King or Barack Obama as your go-to black person. And if you're a Republican, you're throwing in Candace Owens or Tim Scott as your go-to black people. Here's the thing. Facts are facts. Regardless of Republicans wanting to deny, deny, deny that there is systemic racism or racism in this country, we just got done talking about how uh, the credit system, anything that 
everything that impacts equity and generational wealth in this country is faulty because of the inequalities that we've seen. That is a that's a systemic issue. We 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 know the history and the facts of slavery and racism and all of these things. Um, that is just right in our face. So to continue to act like it is not a part of the DNA of this country is false. It's an insult to the lives that have been taken. And continue to be taken. Um, so for me, I, I think this is a load of BS and I don't really understand the need to tiptoe around it, even from VP Kamala Harris to try to make, well, racist, America isn't a racist country. That's not true. It is is it's based off of it and if anyone is denying that then they are clearly not someone who is experiencing it because their skin i'm sorry yeah i mean you said it and everyone says has the same message i just that's another thing and i'm I'm, I'm gonna wrap this up soon yeah i just don't understand when a group of people a large group of people say they experience the same exact thing the same exact thing verbatim and there are still people who question that I don't think it's real. So are we all dumb? Are we all just living in the same stupid fantasy? I just don't get it. That That's why you listen to people and trust their experience. That's it. That's it. Well, let us know what you think at LGT Show is where you can slide into our DMs. Give us your take on social media. And coming up on the show, a West, West Virginia governor has signed an anti-transports bill into law. More details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. And coming up, we're going to be talking about why it's good for kids to have friends from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Whoever did this study, I just feel like once they get on the phone, and be like, duh. I know. Did you have to do a whole study for this to find that out? It's a, it's a reminder for people who uh, do, you know, they themselves as parents probably who only are hang around. specifically? Oh, well, say my it, Say it with your chest. Say so it. my experience, uh, because I'm a white person, I can only speak from my lived experience. <gasps> Producer Vanessa, <laughs> da, did you know Shira was a white woman? So, <laughs> and a Jew, okay, and a Canadian. I have multiple. Uh, oh my gosh, she's so intersectional. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I I would say, um, you know, going to a Jewish school, yeah, I was, uh, well, I went to, Jew- in, a lot of my friends went to Jewish schools, it was only white Jews, right? And then I went to school. Of, in the entire school, there was no black Jews or any other not, Jews of color? Is not that, that I remember. Well, no, you could be a Jew of color. <laughs> but, um, I mean... So, but in my school, because we had a lot of people, uh, we did have a lot of Europeans and different people from around the world that came uh, who had parents who were diplomats. So I did have different people in my high school, but it wasn't like a large group. They were white. No, no, no. We had um, Asian and black and Indian. Oh, there were black folks there? Yeah, but not like a huge amount. But, but... And they were Jewish? No, I went to a non-Jewish school. Oh, But my okay, friends sorry, did grow up like, all right, yeah, you know, this I'm is sorry. getting confusing. I, I, I got, but I got with that, I think this is a reminder for those who might not, who might know this, but not be implementing it into their lives. The importance of looking around the, the people you hang out with or the people that your kids hang out with and say like, is this the best situation for their, them and their growth? Anyway, plus, how do you make small talk when you haven't seen anyone anymore or in a year? Let's have small talk <laughs> That's about at Jewish 435 schools. PM, 7.35 <laughs> p.m. Eastern. I'll tell you about the Jewish schools. It's at what? Produce Vanessa? Oh, okay. Sorry. But now let's get into some what's trending this hour. The race. Mayor Bill de Blasio announced 
when New York City will officially reopen on MSNBC. Is to fully reopen New York City on July 1st. We are Ooh. ready for stores to open, for businesses to open, offices, theaters, full strength. Because look, what we're seeing is people have gotten vaccinated in extraordinary number, 6.3 million vaccinations in New York City to date. There you go. The city of uh, the city that doesn't sleep, the Big Apple, will be reopening July 1st. How exciting. Do they still call New York the Big Apple? Yeah. Where's That's the their apple? like thing. It's an apple. No. I, I mean, I knew that, but I just never the really understood apple. why. There's a reason why, but I don't know it right now. So we're not doing Jeopardy <laughs> it's okay. here. It's okay. Big Apple. Right. You don't have to look it up. It's fine. We can move past it. What's the next headline? West Virginia Governor Jim Justice yesterday signed into a law a measure that prohibits transgender girls and women in the state from competing on sports teams at any public secondary school or state institution of higher education. The law, which cleared the state's Republican-led legislator in recent weeks, says that teams must be designated based on biological sex, which prohibits trans women and girls from participating on women's athletic teams where competitive skill or contact is involved. It's really bad. Uh, While there's been a lot of other Republican states that have been vetoing a lot of these measures, it's unfortunate to see West Virginia signing this into law. But that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. All right, so Billie Eilish has a new song, and honestly, I am so in love with it. It is time for the T-Report, a little music T-Report. Mm. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So if you haven't heard the new track, here is a clip. was a part of this solo. Here we go. Try not to abuse your power. Okay, so I, I had a long yeah. I had a longer clip of that. I just didn't realize it was the guitar was going on forever. Well, it was very beautiful. You know, if you're stressed today, if you're in traffic right now, I hope you just enjoyed that little break. You called it whimsical. Yeah, it had a whimsical quality. You don't even have children yet, but you have a, a vocabulary of a 46-year-old mom. And it's really beautiful. Well, thank you. Like, you would succeed at homeschooling your kids. I could tell. I appreciate that, although I'm horrible at math. Uh, but, you know, my mom is an educator, and she would, was really hands-on with my education uh, but I think my boyfriend would be better I think I would give him the job of homeschooling it seems like your boyfriend's gonna be a single father <laughs> you know he had a dream okay wait we had it he had a dream he's like I had a dream that you had a million a show you were you had a job that you were making like a million dollars I was like tell me more and he's like and I was staying at home taking care of the kids and now he was like I can do this did and that I was, turn you on to hear that 
I was like, I'll take a, a show where I'm making a million dollars. <laughs> no, I mean, did I turn you on just him being like, yeah, I was at home. Just take care of our kids. Doing what we do. And then I felt sad and bad. No, yeah. but back to the Billie Eilish song before I <laughs> yes, rap. Please. Because one, I love this song. It's really great. But she shared the inspiration behind her haunting new song. It's called Your Power. Um, she said, this is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. I feel very vulnerable putting this one out because I hold it so close to my heart. This is about many different situations that we've all either witnessed or experienced. I hope this can inspire change. Try not to abuse your power. And so, yeah, it's the new single off of Billy's next album, Happier Than Ever. Hmm. She announced the album's release date on Instagram earlier this month, a day after my birthday. It's coming out July 30th. Wow, so. she's a Leo too. It's not her birthday, Shira. A day after. Oh, it's a, it's a day after my birthday. <laughs> I thought she said. Okay, I, got it. I thought that was a quote she said. Like she said, her birthday is on July thirtieth, and you added my okay. Got it. Oh God, that is your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. It's obviously a present to you, Ryan. She knew. Duh. Are you kidding me? Now uh, coming up on the show is Biden really banning burgers? We debunk his climate plan next. Yeah, help me lose weight. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new study reveals that it's good for kids to have friends from different socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, it seems obvious, but it's layered. And there's ways that we can get there. Um, and it involves, obviously, parents being aware, but also schools being aware and a shift to the education system. Leah Lassar joins us, postdoctoral fellow at the Yukon Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity in the Department of Human Development and Family Sciences, who was behind this uh, study. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, thank you. Well, how is the study conducted? Let's get into uh, the nitty gritty of this. Yeah, so this study was one piece of a larger project called the UCLA Diversity Project, where middle school students uh, in 26 middle schools completed surveys annually about their schooling experiences and their social emotional uh, well-being. Students wrote down the names of their friends. And because we had so many students participate in the study, we were able to match friends' responses to characterize the types of friendships that each student had. And in this case, we looked at cross-class friendships or friendships between students uh, from families with different levels of education, um, as parental education is one indicator of social class or socioeconomic status. And we we're interested in these cross-class friendships for a few reasons. Um, in the last decade, there's been a growing attention to how schools in the U.S. are becoming increasingly segregated by socioeconomic status. And uh, this is problematic on several bases, but when we think about adolescents in particular who are so socially wired, a socioeconomic segregation could mean that they're missing out on forming and developing friendships with peers who come from different backgrounds. And before the study, we didn't know a whole lot about the implications of having or not having cross-class friendships. But what we do know is that having friends who are different from you is, is beneficial for you. So relationships can function as important learning contexts. And when we're only friends with people who are identical to us, we may miss out on some important opportunities to learn new things. So here we looked at the role of cross-class friendships and, and how they may play a role in minimizing academic achievement differences based on parental education. So we also had uh, students' GPA, their standardized test scores, and their teachers rated um, how academically engaged they were in the classroom. 
Interesting. Does this count for the disparities between like racial groups, especially when you're talking about the system of education and and how oftentimes there could be major disparities in, in racial inequality when it comes to that? Yes, um, definitely. So that's that's a great point that uh, we did not look at at racial disparities in this study. Um, but that is definitely a future avenue for uh, research and that we know that there are so many benefits of having cross-ethnic friendships. So we were really looking at um, making comparisons between cross-class friendships and cross-ethnic friendships in the study. So specifically, what is what is your study? It's just cross-friendships in general. So it's yeah, like rich white cross-class. Yeah. Cross so it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, rich white kid and poor white kid. Yeah, so I can give you an example of a, of how we um, characterize cost yeah. cost cost yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's a little bit um, um, removed. So uh, it would be between a student, for example, whose parent or guardian's highest level of education is high school, and then their friend um, whose parent or guardian has a college degree, for example. So um, we're just looking at their parent level of education and, and differences in that respect. Mm, interesting. So from the results, uh, what do you hope changes and, and how do we get there? Yeah, so this was this study first, we just there had been no studies on cross-class friendships before. So we just wanted to um, first see how prevalent they were. And in our sample, we found that about half of students had at least one cross-class friend. And that may seem like a lot, but then on the flip side, that means that um, only one in, one in two kids or one in two kids don't have any um, friendships that are cross-class. And again, our sample was highly um, diverse. So we can imagine that um, at the national level, this may be even more rare. So is this, you know, putting the accountability on schools? Because I, I wonder if you have this information, what schools can do to make sure this is not happening. Yeah, so that's, that's a great point. We think that, um, well, we know that the ability to form cross-ethnic friendships really depends on the ethnic diversity of schools and that when students attend schools that are more ethnically diverse, then they're more likely to have cross-ethnic friendships. So when we think about forming cross-class friendships, then we um, schools that have more socioeconomic diversity, kids are more likely to probably have those friendships. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here and for the work you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That was Leah Lassard, postdoctoral fellow at the Yukon Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity. Now, coming up on the show, would you have a problem if your partner dressed sexy? A new story from Ellen DeGeneres' ex brings up this very question that's next. Now, actor Anne Heche, you know, that's Ellen DeGeneres' ex-wife or no, or ex-girlfriend. Sorry, I don't think they went to wife status. Said that she dressed like a hippie during the three years she was in a relationship. No, she's only been married to Portia. Yes. So Ellen, she revealed, didn't let her dress sexy. She spoke about this during a TikTok video uh, where she talked about her most iconic red carpet looks. Here's a moment from that. Oh. Why do I look like a hippie? It's because Ella didn't want me to dress sexy. Uh, bye, no. Okay. She talked about many other outfits. That was quick. Remember, TikTok videos are short. Okay, all right. So that was a sound bite. But it kind of brings up the question, would you have a problem if your partner dressed sexy? Or what would you do if you had a partner that told you to bring it down? 
Okay, here's the thing. your look. Here's the thing. I I don't really... <sighs> hmm. This is interesting. So I, I think you should never be with someone that you're going to try to end up changing. Now, if they have horrible style, then yes, you should change that because you don't want to be embarrassed going outside. Like, that's just annoying. Um, but if they if you're trying to make them, like, and you met them and they were sexy at first and that's what attracted you to them and then all of a sudden you're going to, like, get together with them and y'all have become a couple and you're trying to change their sexiness or telling them to tone it down, that's exactly what you was attracted to. That's exactly what you wanted. So why are you trying to change them? I think that's a, a sign of being controlling mm-hmm. and a little weird, in my opinion. Um, I... I I just don't want to be with anyone who's going to try to to tell me that I can't be a certain thing or a certain way. If you met me with, you know, my ass out on Instagram, guess what? I'm still going to have my ass out three or four months into the conversation. It doesn't change just because you're in a relationship. That's what I'm saying. But I do understand people have boundaries and they want to have, like, you know, a conversation about what's comfortable for them. And, yeah, if you want to compromise in that way, do it. But for me, if that person is just trying to control you and basically... Kanye West you like Kim Kardashian and dress you up like her, his little doll. No way. I'm sorry. This ain't Barbie. Yeah, and a lot of people will say, well, I'm, I'm being honest, and if you really love me, you're going to do this. And it's like, yeah, it's not sustainable to build the foundation of your relationship on lies. Lies that you're telling yourself and lies that you're forcing your partner to tell to, to you. You should love your partner the way they are, And of course, we all evolve together. We change every day, actually. But yeah, you kind of have to take your partner the way they are. And if you can't take that, then it's not the right thing. Or I would say you need to continue working on yourself to understand why you want to mold someone in this vision, why I can't accept someone for who they are. I mean, the really, the big question here is, um, it's really interesting how you can probably see how the patriarchy and misogyny jumps into even all type of relationships because it's this idea of Ellen, who's kind of the more masculine person in her relationship. We can assume that if you look at her and Portia, um, she's probably the more she masculine the suits one. And then, you know, Portia wears the dresses. Yeah, and it doesn't have to do with, you know, just that in general. But I I do think this is, there's roles, right? And especially in queer relationships, there tends to still be like heteronormative roles, whether someone is the more masculine or feminine or the the top or the bottom. And that's just so dated and gross and old. And and I hate that. But oftentimes you unfortunately see that play into a place where it should never be. Like, we're not in a hetero relationship. I don't need to be (laughs) this or that or any type of label to be just able to exist has this happened in relationship to you oh my god so when i first got into a relationship yeah yeah yeah. when i first got into a relationship yeah i mean being in the south southern gays we're all about those labels right so my boyfriend had to be the more masculine one and i was the more feminine one but as i've grown and and gotten older and kind of realized what i want i've kind of just dropped that whole idea of labels like not sticking yourself to one position or one thing or whatever Mm -hmm. and i think that is what we should be doing to better our relationships because there's so much um, drama and so much uh, stigma, especially with being a bottom or being feminine and all these different layers that should never exist. Because guess what? At the end of the day, honey, we all gay. 
like me and him. Well, yeah, because I, I, I was in a relationship <laughs> where um, I, I started a company with my ex, and he would tell me what to wear to meetings, and that if I it was mean, too, if it wasn't professional enough, or why am I wearing this? It looks weird. Yeah, and I, I started, that. and at first it starts casually. You know, this is the th- way this manipulation works. You're like, oh yeah, you have good style, you have good taste, and then you start losing a sense of yourself, and you're not even dressing for you. Right, you're not even you've lost your own taste and style and point of view and perspective. Yeah, and so I don't know. I just hate that she had to go through this with Ellen. I'm hoping Portia's not having to deal with the same thing because oftentimes, if Ellen hasn't changed, then guess what? She's probably taking that into her own thing. And if that yeah. works for Portia, cute. Because some people like those roles, I, and I ain't hating you if you like them and you like the labels of it all. Do that for you. Or you like being told what to do. I mean, that's hot yeah. too. Who doesn't like all to right. be choked? Let oh, us know. Choking. What? Um, what you think about um, being told what to wear, not about choking necessarily, but you can. Slide into our DMs yeah. at LGT Show on social media. Let me know if you like to be choked. Uh, coming up, when could you return to cruises? You know, if you're a cruise person. The CDC's latest announcement next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how to make small talk after we've been through the pandemic. It can be hard. You know, uh, it could be hard to have conversations and not want to just like turn it off or put someone on mute. You can't do that in real life. Uh, yes, you can. I'll just put in earbuds or my AirPods or something. Well, no, but then you're considered rude. But if you're with a group of people, you're going to just put your headphones on? I have done that. Or I'm the type of person who will literally just clock out of the the conversation because that means once I see them engaged in conversation or eye contact with someone else in the group, that means <laughs> I can kind of slide back and just be like, okay, I'm going to like look around or kind of be disconnected because I don't need to be here at this moment. I do uh, that all yes. the time. That's a, that's a good way of like refueling yourself. Yeah, well, if you're one-on-one, it becomes harder. Well, Josh Gondelman, who's a comedian and writer-producer for Jesus and Mero on Showtime, is joining us for this fun segment in 30 minutes. Wait, are you kidding me? No, I love Jesus and Mero. Yep. And, yeah, I'm super excited about this combo. Uh, but right now— You let's... know, comedians often are awkward. Uh-huh. And so maybe he's, like, a, a for-sure expert on this. I'm excited to hear more. <laughs> Let's get into so much training this hour, though, right now. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer shared what happened when he met with George Floyd's brother, Eric Garner's mother, and Attorney Crump just this morning. Just this morning, I met with George Floyd's brother, Eric Garner's mother, and Mr. Ben Crump, the lawyer for the family of George Floyd, and I told them we're committed to getting meaningful, strong reform done. Hopefully, in a bipartisan way, if we can. Here on the Senate floor, we are proving that our two parties can work together on legislation, including some of the issues that President Biden mentioned. Okay, and then, of course, that was after some members of the GOP uh, said that racism didn't exist in America. And uh, not even members of GOP. It's also our vice president, unfortunately. Uh, Well, let's move on uh, to the CDC, who announced that U.S. cruises could resume as early as... Mid-July. Since March 2020, the CDC has blocked cruise ships that carry more than 250 people from sailing in the U.S. waters. Major cruise lines have already announced that they will also require future guests to be fully vaccinated. So if you want to go on a cruise, 
You got to be vaxxed. I've never been on a cruise, and I I really want to try it, but I'm just so nervous. I mean, watches Titanic once, and it just ruins everything for me. Yeah, I, I'm. I promise it won't be like the Titanic. I mean, we also you're not going to hit. You can't a glacier promise that right here. Oh, uh, because global warming. Um, well, you're also probably you know there's no glaciers around here. I don't know what could happen. <laughs> you really don't. You just never know. And also, can you imagine? Remember that Carnival cruise that got stranded out in the middle of the water for a week with no signs of communication? People were sitting next to each other's feces and stuff because they couldn't use the bathroom anywhere and people were pooping in corners. Yeah, I don't want that to be me. I could not imagine. Practical. That's so scary. I'm, and I'm not yeah. even afraid of the ocean. Like, I'm, I, love, I love water. But the idea of just being stranded or a sinking boat... I mean, uh, I, that makes sense. That's why I just, I'm not into cruises, to be honest. I don't get, like, why you'd want to be stuck on, in one place with just a bunch of people in a small little room and pay a ton of money for it. Yeah, that's it's true. Me. It's very true. But that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Mario Lopez just told the world about a very traumatic moment. Oh. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So let's just say this. Mario Lopez was not saved by the bell when it came to his sex life. Um, He was a guest on Lisa Vanderpump's new show where they are basically at a dinner party. And he decided to reveal an especially cringy moment that most parents could probably relate to. Here's that. I'm surprised we haven't gotten pregnant I'm surprised, yeah. Really? How do you have sex when you have three children anyway? Oh, my God. It's all about the quickie now. Well, we have a lock on our door. Can I tell you the worst thing ever? No, please do. This was so traumatic. Oh, Um, no. Our daughter walked in on us the other day. Yes. We were in a completely different bedroom. We were in a guest bedroom. Oh, you were shacking in the guest bedroom? Yes, I escaped. Yeah, way to go. Like a little honeymoon? Exactly. A getaway. It's like a little getaway. (laughs) I thought she was in school in her room, never thinking that for the next whatever, how many minutes it would. (laughs) How many minutes? (laughs) I mean, can you, one, I hope their daughter is okay. Cause that's now that's a traumatic experience for her. Catching your parents have sex. Yeah, has that happened to you, Shira? It uh, didn't happen when I was young or anything. Also, my parents were at, on uh, the uh, floor above me. But they did have a glass door, which doesn't like if you end up walking up and they are doing something, you wouldn't you would be able to see what's happening inside. Wait, you mean their their room doors? Yeah, made out of glass. You can see through it. Yeah, but it was on another floor. They had their own floor. They anyway. But wow. uh, but yeah, you've got to come to my place in Montreal where I grew up. To That's be reminded it. of where your parents had sex. That's <laughs> but exactly But I did come back it. home when I was older, a bit older, earlier one night, and I heard them watching porn upstairs <gasps> and saying things. Oh, yeah, and I told my mom, and my mom was like, well, we're married. And we were adults. <laughs> I was an adult at that point, or like semi-adult. But yeah, that was kind of strange. Oh, my God. That's your tea report. I don't even know what else to say with that. And that's all I got for you till next hour. Okay, coming up. Do you keep score in relationships? I'm actually not into it, but this expert says it helps. We'll tell you why next. Scorekeeping in relationship is not typically recommended, but our next guest thinks it's okay if you do it. But here's what to take into consideration. Uh, thanks again, Jeremy Tyler, for joining us today. Uh, he's a clinical psychologist and assistant professor of clinical psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. I, li- I like that you're pro-keeping score because I-, I love that. That Any way I can win an argument, I am pro- I'm keeping that damn score like a referee. <laughs> yeah. What are the things that, uh, that you keep tally on? Um, 
you know how many times I'm right, which is all the and, time. Um, ask him if he's in a relationship right now. That's none of your business, <laughs> sir. Don't ask. <laughs> so yeah, how's that work it out? Right? Yeah, exactly. So, Jeremy, why is scorekeeping first looked down upon? Well, I, I think it's fair. I think it's uh, just the, the term keeping score. I think it does assume this idea of like tally keeping. And I think it also assumes that there's a winner in the relationship. So, you know, I think just the term kind of generates a lot of buzz and a lot of negative reaction because it automatically assumes like somebody's better than the other person, right? Like if you're keeping score, you want to win. I mean, also conditional, uh, like, yeah. like comes from. for me, um, it means there's conditions to the relationship and it feels transactional. Absolutely. Right. It feels like, you know, there's some kind of expectation I have to hit in order to get you to accept me and love me. And I don't think that ever feels good when you're in a partnership. But here's the thing. There, I, I do feel like there needs to be some understanding of, like, if one person in the relationship is not bringing anything to the table. Well, then you should right? end mm. And I think that inherently <laughs> is you kind of keeping score. That is inherently you kind of seeing what they're bringing forth to make the partnership work. So what's the balance there of, like, keeping score to be, like, yeah. petty and then also understanding that, no, you need to have a partner who's bringing something to the table? Right. Yeah, I think, you know, look, and, and if you're with somebody who's not bringing anything to the table, then I think there's a bigger conversation to have for sure, right? Um, but I, I think, you know, the real question is trying to ask, like, what it is that you want from that, from that, that task, right? Like, what it is you're, you're wanting from what they're not bringing. So right, if, it, if they're not handling the bills or you're doing the laundry or doing the dishes, I think the real question is asking yourself, what does it mean to you if they were to do that, right? Like, so what are you not getting from the relationship? Because it's likely just you're not feeling loved or you're not feeling like they're taking this serious. And that's fair. But also you might need to check your perspective and realize that maybe they're doing it other ways. They're just not doing it in the ways that you're used to doing it yourself. Yeah, it's not maybe they're like love languages are important. I think that to understand like how someone... Uh, looks at their love and love language is the book. Please check it out if you haven't already. But so how can we look yeah. at scorekeeping in a different way? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I see it as an opportunity for communicating better and learning a little bit more about each other. Like you mentioned the love languages and I've been a fan of that book since like the late nineties. <laughs> um, everybody should definitely check it out. It'll make your relationship life uh, a lot better. Uh, but I do think it's a real opportunity to to try to lean into some discomfort with your partner. And, you know, it's frustrating, right? If you feel like you're doing all the work and, and they're not bringing anything to the table, I think in some ways it's easier to stay frustrated and, and become more passive aggressive and, and kind of go on the attack or just leave, right? Um, I think though it's an opportunity to lean into feeling uncomfortable and having a conversation around what you might want to see change and what you're willing to kind of see differently. It's interesting. Do you think this conversation about scorekeeping a relationship is coming up because we're a lot of relationships probably didn't make it because of the pandemic and us having to live with each other and, and, and go through the hurdles mm-hmm. of dealing with just, I mean, the craziness of this entire thing that we've been yeah. through. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, right? Um, I forget where I heard this, but I thought it made a lot of sense to me. Um, I think when you think about people living together and being in a partnership before the pandemic, when you kind of sign up for that, especially if you're actually living with the person, you know, you kind of signed up for, you know, 
a full-time relationship perhaps, but maybe not a full-time like space sharing situation, right? You kind of had some built-in time to have some separation and some breathing space. But I think during the pandemic, a lot of couples, you know, really had to do a lot of things together constantly in a way that we just weren't used to kind of seeing as a script for a relationship. So I think it is raising some of these, you know, bigger conversations about how we operate in in couples and how we operate in relationships in general. And that's why consistent check-ins, I think, are so helpful, whether it be like midweek or weekend, just to be, you know, and my friend actually did these couples check-in cards that are really cool where you just ask questions and, and like you're very open and transparent and it really helps so that you're not keeping things why do you need cards for that just ask your damn partner the question i know i mean but some people need prompts some people do need a little push Mm -hmm. they need to grow up wow (laughs) (laughs) what are we 12 but it helps but it helps um you think about it in a different way if you're getting it from experts who put these things together jeremy tyler thank you so much for being here jeremy sounds cute by the way oh yeah Oh, thanks I don't know for, if he is. He sounds cute, me. though. Jeremy is from the University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, I can't go. Appreciate I can't, that. Thank you so much. Segment without saying Thank Jeremy sounds cute. You scared our guest off. <laughs> Coming up on uh, the show today, tips on how to make small talk. Now that we're getting back to being social, that's next. I don't have a problem with that. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Are you getting anxiety about being social and in person? Small talk was already cringy, wasn't it? But, but the idea of small talk after the pandemic for many might make you want to continue being antisocial. Josh Gondelman joins us, comedian and writer and producer for Jesus and Miro on Showtime. Thanks so much for being here for this. Love that show, by the way. The Bodega Boys. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. They're my and thanks favorites. for having me. Yeah, so. They're the best. To be honest, they're, they're, oh, they're like literally the only like two straight guys that I could possibly deal with. <laughs> they're very lot. funny and very nice. <laughs> Uh, so, Josh, before my co-host takes this and does small talk with you, uh, what is a, what does a comedian like you have to say about small talk? I mean, it seems like are comedians experts at doing this? I think yes, because like we're used to breaking the ice more, like with with groups of strangers, both on stage and just like meeting people. But I also think like forcing it and trying to be to go too hard into small talk, a sm- small talk. Small. I've clearly not been speaking out loud very much, um, but like forcing it and like really trying too hard to be like fun and funny and like we're back out here. I think that's worse than like going too granular with the small talk. So I think the the really big caveat with the small talk is that it can get awkward really fast. It can even start awkward. So sure. how do you start some small talk? Do you do you give a compliment? Do you do an open ended question? What what do you think is like some good advice for starting a small talk situation? I think it's I think like let your natural curiosity lead. That to me is like I, I think you don't go wrong, right? Like you don't have to try to be quippy. You don't have to try to like come out with like an interesting science fact or whatever. Just like ask what's on your mind. I think like everyone is going to feel a little overwhelmed and a little unsure of how to start. But if you're like, Hey, like so good to see you. Like, um, have you, have you been, do you, are you, have you been in the same apartment the whole time? You know, like, uh, this whole last year, or like what's new, you know, just like little things, I think, uh, just like let being naturally curious and then not forcing it. If people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know what you shouldn't do? 
I hate What's talking that? about the weather. Don't tell me how pretty it is outside when but I just came out what if it's a beautiful sunset? I just what came from outside. It, well, what I if you're outside? You're outside. I don't know. Me. I just think weather is just a cop-out. Like, that is just, that's the start of an awkward conversation talking about the weather. Oh, wow, it sure is windy out there. What are we, 64? <laughs> I like I don't mind a little weather talk, but it is hard to shift gears, right? Because it's like then you're just talking about the weather. And you're That's like, it. It's lovely out today. It is, and then it's hard to be like. So we're all feeling despair, right? We're all just kind of <laughs> yeah. despairing. Josh, how quickly do you go to the dark side? I mean, if someone like oh, I'm starting there, right? Like, <laughs> like the the question, how are you? Good? Are you really good? Come on, like. How much do you go there? And at what point? Question. At what point do you come out of it? You know, like when someone's kind of going down, and you want to go down that deep end with them, and then how totally. do you get out of that? Even I, I think it just like to be reassuring to people, like I, and and also like I think it's fine if conversations get a little heavy, like yeah. I, you know what I mean. I don't think that's a problem if people are being a little more real and a little more sincere. So if you're like, "Hey, how are you?" and they're like, "Bad." I prefer that to someone being like, fine, no further questions. Right? <laughs> but sometimes it's like, it's it's one of those questions where I feel like, how are you? Or how, like, you know, how is your day going? It's kind of like a, a question that no one really wants you to go down the, the, the rabbit hole of. Like, we don't need right. to hear I, about your entire life. It's just like, oh, I'm good. Unless that's what the, the conversation or the environment is kind of being like, yeah, maybe this is the appropriate time to do this. Totally. And I, I think we're going to maybe get some big answers to small questions soon. You know, a lot of like, mm. how are you? Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I provoking. Again, I think that's okay. Like, what's the worst thing that happens if someone, if someone like gets a little more sincere than, than you had counted on? Someone you know what I mean? Someone I think, died or their like their dog died or something, something really sad that could really be like, oh, wow, I was not prepared for this. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And, and that's hard, but like, I think just like be with that person in that moment and be like, well, that's, that sounds really hard. Is there anything I can do for you? Or like, um, how are you feeling? Like, cause, cause I do think like people are usually share stuff like that because they want to be heard, mm, right? Like they want to yeah. have that moment with you. And, and, and I don't know if it'll all, if it'll all be that, but I definitely think we're going to get to that point. We're, we're going to come to a boil like water in Denver, just like at a much lower temperature, if that makes sense. Or you know how water boils faster at higher altitudes. That's going to be everyone's emotional yeah. state for the next like, year. I do not know how to use an uh, oven. <laughs> <laughs> what are things that you want to avoid? I feel like, do you bring up vaccinations and politics right off the bat? Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of, what kind of group you're in and what kind of conversation you want to be having. Um, like, I, I don't think, like, at a party with friends, I would feel that weird about talking about vaccination and stuff. Uh, but I do think, like, if you're at, like, a family thing, maybe you start smaller than that. Because that, that, that is the kind of thing where, like, I, I think it's, um, like, wading into an argument is potentially more awkward than, like, having a, a, a dark emotional moment with someone. Um, especially, like, if you know what buttons you might be pushing. But I think, like, there's so much to talk about, right? Like, even you you see someone at a, at a party that you haven't seen in, like, a year and a half now, probably. Right. And there's just, like, um, 
you know, there, there's like little things that you could be curious about, like even just like what's the best thing you watched in the past oh. year on TV or, or whatever. What did you, you know make? What, I mean? what did you make anything? Yeah, like what did you make? Anything? Or what you, have you been eating? If you if you're like me, you can shamelessly plug yourself, or like like I'm about to do you. You have a book, Nice Try: Stories of Best Intentions and Mixed Results. So if you want to know more about Josh, that's one of the first questions you ask him about his book, and then buy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's available wherever you get books. All your independent <laughs> bookstores, you can buy it online. Uh, and it's all personal essays. Oh, I love it. Well, Josh, thank you for being here for this. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. That was Josh Gondelman, comedian, writer, producer for De- Jesus and Mero on Showtime. Imagine, Shira, tr- figuring out if it was like Jesus or Jesus. I like the word Jesus. <laughs> She nailed it with Jesus, though. Some people go right to Dave. She only nailed it because I told her before. I told her before. Do not listen to him at all. Okay. Josh, we hope to have you back. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Coming up, someone's Reddit post is going viral about apology dinners, what it is, and why some people think it's a bad idea. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh my God, Shira loves doing this where she takes a bite of food of something really crunchy or just salty or crumbly right before we're on air. Right before we're on air, she took a bite, the biggest bite I've ever seen of an apple, like she was Snow White or something. (laughs) And she was about to go into a deep sleep. And I'm like, why would you do that right before we're going on air? But we're back. Let's go there has been a fun show today. It has. It has been really good. We're real. Can't believe you just ate that big ass apple. You could have choked. You know, yeah. uh, Thank you for actually looking out for the real thing, not for the perspective of it, but my health. If you would have choked, I would have had to do the rest of the show by myself. Okay. So that would have been. That would have. That that really really would have put me in a in a terrible position. Listen, am I the only one who gets low blood sugar while I'm working? Blah, blah, working? blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm working with a senior yeah. citizen. AARP. <laughs> Our program director actually us. asked if like I don't he thinks I don't eat. I'm like, no, I eat all the time. You don't get it. We really should get a sponsorship from AARP. <laughs> I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> Let's get into the story, please. We just went off a bit. Many people are confused about this concept of an apology dinner after this woman shared a viral Reddit thread that she was planning one for her sister. So here is part of the post. She she goes, my mom decided to host an apology dinner for my older sister. As my mom was busy writing her apology, she asked if I would take care of food and beverages. And so, like, she was talking about the dishes they're going to make and everyone came over. We're all excited to listen to the apology and eat. My sister was among the last to arrive and she was offended that we were serving potluck for her special dinner. I'm confused on what an apology dinner is. So so it's like, did the sister... Is she apologizing to the sister she's inviting over for something she did? Yes. So And she's she, getting other people there to like witness my it? My sister called me the a-hole for undermining the apology. So basically, if you do potluck, it was like the potluck ruined the apology dinner. Why? First of all, potlucks are in ill form. I hate a potluck. That is the, just so her gross. Sister, it's not Friendsgiving or something. Her sister yelled to her that the apology meal should be prepared or at least paid for by the apologizer, my mom, in order to show proper atonement. So, if one, would you ever do an apology dinner? And then if you do an apology dinner, should you take care of it if you're the apologizer? Well, I'm not really sure what an apology dinner is still, but I, there's a piece you're of reconciling this. reconciling and you're bringing people together. It seems like a public shaming, which I'm all here for. Well, it's like if I did something to you and I wanted to apologize and I said, we're going to have a dinner. You're going to bring a group of people to witness it? But then it would be like if it was a potluck, would that be kind of rude? 
Well, maybe she's just mad at her friend for having awful taste to do a potluck style it's, dinner. Uh, the mom. Oh, well, moms make crappy decisions too. Um, but here's the thing. An apology dinner should just consist of two people. You and the person you offended. Not privately. Like a whole yeah, not a whole group. To be honest, I don't even want an apology dinner. I would like an apology phone call. Because what if I'm not ready to see you? What if I'm not there yet and I want to talk to you first, get everything off of like off of our chest over the phone, and then we can go to dinner and like we can move past it and move forward. So this is, is what this a cultural thing? This is what someone d- said. I uh, if you need to apologize to someone, treat them to a private dinner to talk about your feelings and boundaries. Don't stick them in the stocks so the whole family can toss tomatoes. Don't make it like a, a gathering amongst the family. Yeah, you know, I just have never heard of an apology. I wonder if there's any listeners out there who have done this or who have been a part of it. Our apology, our apology dinner is some Midwest suburbia thing the rest of America is just unaware of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I've never heard of of this. I don't even think they do it's, that in the South. It seems like something you do on like a reality show. Yeah, literally. A reality show where there's cameras around so, and you're getting the big moment. This is what happens when people start watching reality TV too much and think that they're in a reality show. I mean, this is probably what happened when they watched like the best season of The Hills with Lauren Conrad and, and Heidi and was just like, you know, seeing their whole entire relationship fall to pieces. Lauren, I mean, I wouldn't even go that way back, that throwback. You could just watch any, any of the Housewives reality but shows. But The Hills had the best drama. Oh, really? I don't know. Yes, even... are you kidding me? No, I mean, I've never... Those I'm not white women, that was white excellence. Oh, okay. When I tell you that there's very few things that are white excellence, but the hills, wow. Okay. I'll Never have to, wanted to be a white woman more in my life. <laughs> I'll have to brush up on my white history. You you better get into it. Uh, <laughs> let us know what you think about apology dinners and if this mom did it the right way or the wrong way. At LGT shows where you can find us on social media. Coming up, what LGBTQ protesters are doing as part of a massive national strike in Colombia? That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up, we're bringing you takeaways from Biden's first address to Congress. Everything you need to know in case you missed it. His State of the Union. Yes. And uh, Ryan will be revealing his theory on why Elon Musk is hosting SNL in the T Report. Yeah, it's, it's real. Okay. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. A video posted to multiple social media sites showed queer activists voguing their way to justice as part of a national strike in Colombia that has shut the country down. Trans women dancing in a plaza were met by police with riot shields in one video. And protests broke out nationwide this week over tax reforms, and both videos were reportedly recorded in Bogota. Now 100 days into his presidency, President Biden has appointed at least 200 known LGBTQ appointees to his administration. It's more than any other president at this point in their administration. And groundbreaking appointees include Pete Buttigieg, the first out LGBTQ Senate-confirmed cabinet member, and Dr. Rachel Levine, the first out Senate-confirmed trans appointee. And the administration is on track to appoint 225 LGBTQ people, and that's necessary to achieve equitable representation in appointments, about 5.6% of the roughly 4,000 presidential appointments. So that's very exciting. An early yes, queen. Yes, queen. 
And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in the T Report, Ryan? Okay, so Miley Cyrus. Yes, we're talking about Elon Musk, but Miley Cyrus is getting back backlash because uh, she's been promoting her upcoming Saturday Night Live appearance. Uh, she's performing on the show, and Elon Musk is hosting. Um, the show and basically her fans were pissed about it saying you know of course that he's been accused of destroying the planet um, and all the other things that Elon Musk does Uh, fans were just really upset about it but here's the thing I seriously think somehow Elon Musk is going to make a run for like a political career I feel like that's my theory I mean I could see it it wouldn't surprise me but I would not be shocked if he tries to run for president yeah, or if he tries to run to be like a governor or something, like because here's the thing, he's trying to governor. be, he's trying know. to be, like, so in the like I don't know in the faces of everyone. Like I feel like he was on Clubhouse. He's always he's like always tweeting. He knows all these celebrities. I feel like he's trying to get people to see his more personable side. And Elon Musk was someone who would like hide away and no one would really ever hear much from unless it was like a big thing. And so I do feel like this SNL move is like for people to show like for him to show people that he's like a likable guy so he could run for president. I don't know, is he even eligible because he's not from here, right? Yeah, he is. Is he Swedish? Girl, I don't know nothing about him. Anyway, I like I the theories more... where they say he's an alien trying to return to his planet. Hey. That's why his technology is so advanced. Uh, so I think no South Africa. Sorry, he's from oh. South Africa. <laughs> Those are those continents don't meet. <laughs> anyway, I think it's more he's gaining like confidence as he becomes more popular. Like I think yeah, he was a very low key tech guy, and a, a bit of a nerd. Sorry to say, I wouldn't be shocked if he tries to make a run for some type of political like moment. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's already working with the government with all his space stuff. Yeah. So what's next? He's the next president. I would we vote want for him. you wouldn't? No, I would not vote for him. Yeah, I think that he, I don't trust him as far as I can throw yeah, him. Yeah, he. I mean, he, he's one of those unpredictable ones. And definitely. the fact that he named his baby some like foreign code, I don't trust him. I Who like a little him? unique name, but he's and done it's a be lot people of people like you, them no, folks out no. in Venice, who is going to vote for him and vote him in office. No, it's, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be all those people who've gotten the their folks. their uh, Teslas. Crack. Hippies don't do crack. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> I do shrooms or any other psychedelics. I don't know. But Stop I just... sharing this information about the hippies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Miley, she literally is excited about Elon. She has started the hashtag, hashtag Miley and Musk to the moon. She's very excited about this moment. Yeah, listen, it's not like, uh, I guess she could have said, no, I don't want to do it with him. I mean, like, she's done... SNL so many times at this point. Yeah, I, she probably didn't even. Know, I, you would think her her you would know people that. know. You know who's hosting yeah. with you because it's like it's a big announcement. It's it's something that she would know. Hmm. Well, I don't like him though. I do not like Elon Musk. I he's do want Tesla, but I don't like him. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. I want to do. I mean, I'm so sometimes my my opinions are so conflicted. I'd be like, I, oh, I, I know I, that I want a Tesla so bad. But I don't know if I like him. But before we get out of here um, and move on with the show, I got to tell you about something that Channel Q is doing. Honey, we got something special for you. Las Vegas is open for business, and Channel Q is giving you the chance to get down to business. Pull side with Tiesto. Head to wearechannelq.com for your chance to win. 
a trip to Las Vegas, including round-trip airfare for two, and an epic two-night stay at the all-new Resorts World Las Vegas. I mean, what happens in Vegas maybe does not stay in Vegas um, because I want to know all the details. So maybe if you win, you can call in and tell us all the craziness that you got into. Also, with a little cherry on top, plus we're going to be throwing in two VIP passes to get some Vegas sun poolside and catch Tiesto's set at the Resorts World Las Vegas. So there's just a lot happening here, and you should really do it. Treat yourself. Try to win. I feel like you have a pretty good chance. If you don't, I will. I'm going to go. I'll take your tickets and just go. I don't think our our boss would let that happen, but I'm, I'm I like your enthusiasm. I don't know, and excitement. I've watched plenty of heist movies. It's very encouraging. I think I could get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that, uh, Ryan. That is an awesome trip and an awesome opportunity. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.